All right, church, let's stand on our feet. I'm going to read some of the Bible. We'll have it on the screen as well. I'm going to read a, a portion out of Genesis 14, and then we're going to flip over to Luke 19 and read a lengthier portion out of Luke 19. Uh, we stand because this is the most authoritative words that will be spoken as we approach uh, the, the sermon tonight. So I'm going to start in Genesis 14, verse 17. This is talking about Abraham after he had just returned from the defeat of, uh, of the uh, kings. So verse 17 says, Then after his return from the defeat of Shador Lamor, that's a tough one, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of all. This is Luke 19, verse 11. This is Jesus now speaking. It says, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and they sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he'd given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they'd done. They first appeared saying, Master, your minas made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you've been faithful in a very little thing. You're to be in authority over ten cities. The second came saying, Your mina, Master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. Another came saying, Master, here's your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you. Because you're an exacting man. You take up what you didn't lay down and you reap what you didn't sow. He said to him, by your own words, I'll judge you, you worthless slave. Did you not know that I'm an exacting man, taking up what I didn't lay down and reaping where I didn't sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank and having come, I would have at least collected it with interest? Then he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. That's the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Lord, I pray that tonight, as you're already in this place, that you would have free reign to come and speak and whisper into the hearts of your sons and daughters, into the hearts of this royal priesthood that you are raising up in the earth. God, we thank you for your living word that speaks identity, it releases life, it releases virtue, that your word, God, your living seed has the power to transform us from the inside out and make us like Jesus. And so we open our hearts and maybe just pray that, 
Tell the Lord, I open my heart to receive the seed of your word. Lord, we want your voice to speak into us. We want you to challenge us, provoke us, transform us. So we just say, have your way, Lord. May this time be fruitful and blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you tonight. How blessed were you last week by Pastor Robin's word? Then I went home and was like, man, I went to church tonight. I guess the rest of you didn't think that, but I sure did. I was like, man, I got some things to think about. I got to be more intentional. I was just, I was fired up. That was amazing. So... I know you were blessed. You're just quiet. Hopefully you'll be louder by the end. Not by my provoking, but from the provoking of the Lord, right? (sighs) Yeah. So I'm going to talk tonight about a royal priesthood. Amen? Amen. Look to the person on your left. Tell them they're a royal priest. Look to the person on your right. Say, we are a chosen people. And now let's just own it. We are a holy nation. A people for the Lord's possession. Come on, we're getting this. We're getting this. Uh, A royal priest, a priest is someone who represents God to creation and represents creation to God. This is a vocation that existed before there was religion. Adam and Eve were formed. Humanity was formed to be priest unto God. They were to represent God's rule to creation. They were to represent the creation to God so that when creation would look at them, they would see God. Mankind forfeited this through sin. Jesus Christ came as the second Adam, the last Adam, to redeem the fall of man, and he became the high priest the high priest and apostle of our faith, and he became the living representation of God. This is why in John 14, he's a little frustrated with Philip when he asked him to show us the Father, and he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he flips the script and says, now I'm the vine and you're the branches, and as I've been a priest unto God, I want you to be a priest unto me, so that when the world looks at you, they see me. This is the call and the vocation of the church, Jesus made a way for humanity to come back to Eden, to the city of God, to the the place of God's rule and reign, that we'd again have access to his creativity and his life and his thoughts and his words so that the stewardship that he's given us with our life, we would turn it into a garden of God and we would create the city of God on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. That's like a really quick summary of like seven messages, I think, at this point. We talked uh, two weeks ago when I, when I preached that heaven is a city. Who was provoked by that? Who's been thinking about that? It has such implications in what we should be doing throughout our lives, really capturing the essence that life is a dress rehearsal for the life to come. And we're learning to live into the city of God now, the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God. Heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem is a place. It's a city with worship at the center, but gates and resources and import and exports and these kings of the earth, the priest of God creating and going. It's just this beautiful, holy, cosmopolitan 
cosmopolitan life that God's created up there. So again, I can't recap all of these. I hope that you're, if you're not here, you can listen on podcasts. Thank God for that. So uh, the Lord surprised me in light of this. He, he, he surprised me this week. Uh, with the message of what I feel Jesus wants to talk about tonight. And what I think Jesus wants to talk about tonight is finances and money in light of what we kind of opened up two weeks ago with heaven being a city. So I want to continue on this theme and actually take a look at money because we don't like talking about money in church and there's going to be no ask for money, just FYI. I want to put you at, put you at ease here. We don't like talking about money, but Jesus talked a lot about money. Uh, it's one of the, he actually talked about money more than I believe he talked about heaven or hell. So it's just a part of life. And I, I want to talk about this in a way, and hopefully, you know, sometimes we have these taboo things that drift into taboo, and we're scared of them, and we're scared of guilt or manipulation or spiritual, you know, burdens that put on it. And I think that money is supposed to be a really life-giving topic, uh, similar to how I think sex is supposed to be a really life-giving topic, but that's kind of taboo to talk about in the church as well. But God's like, I created all of these things. I want to talk about these things. So give us ears to hear, give us a heart to receive. And I just actually, I really feel like God wants to excite you tonight as his royal priest of your relationship with money and what it can look like in light of a deeper relationship with Jesus. So can we go a bit on a journey tonight to see what the Bible has to offer about money and looking at money in light of the kingdom of God? All right. And, and I just want to be honest, like it's safe, like it's safe here. This isn't, I'm not trying to, uh, your heart's safe. I know that this is a topic that many people have wounds around, and I want to be really tender and sensitive, and I want this to be safe. I want this to be redeeming. I want us to get a paradigm shift that truly excites us about something that I think God is actually really excited about, and not shamed, and not wounded, and not feeling guilted into anything. Um, I'll just start with this. We have the freedom to do what we want. Like, Jesus has given us authority to make decisions, so I don't want to guilt anybody to anything but I do want to inspire you into a vision of what it can look like in the heavenly city to come. And with the dress rehearsal here. So we read this passage, Genesis 14. Um, we looked, uh, I think it was maybe two or three messages I preached ago. I talked about how Abraham was a forerunner of this priestly identity. Uh, anybody here for that night? With the Abraham and Moses and David and all this. So Abraham got gripped by God, and when people, when humans get gripped by God, there's an awakening of a priestly identity because it's a core identity that we carry. So Abraham got gripped by God. He starts doing these things like building altars. He climbs the mountain uh, of God. It's Mount Zion, Mount Moriah, and he, he offers Isaac and has this moment on the mountain. So Abraham's this forerunner. It, mankind had lost connection with an identity of what it meant to be a priest. And God starts the redemption process with Abraham. And in Genesis 14, there's this very fascinating prophetic encounter that Abraham has with this man named Melchizedek. Say that 10 times fast. I'm just joking. You don't have to. <laughs> that, there's no point. Right, but Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is the king of Salem, which means he's the king of Jerusalem. And his name is also translated king of peace. So Melchizedek is this, he's this foreshadowing. He's this prototypical person that's representative of Christ. 
Paul picks this up later, or the author of Hebrews, some think it's Paul, some don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but in that Jesus was a priest according to Melchizedek and not according to Levi. So there's this really significant moment that Abraham, as he is stepping in in the beginning of this journey of the, the redeeming of the priestly vocation of humanity, he meets Melchizedek, the king of Jerusalem, the king of peace, and the king of Jerusalem, the king of peace, this foreshadowing of Christ blesses Abraham and then Abraham responds to that blessing and he does what he tithes he gives 10% and Abraham is a wealthy man he gives 10% of his wealth not because of any Levitical code or law or anything but out of this this prophetic act that is he gets blessed by Melchizedek the king of Jerusalem Abraham gives 10% of his net worth, he gives 10% of his business, per se, to the high priest, this priest of God, Melchizedek, that we don't know where he came from, we don't know what happens after, we just know that in the Psalms, the Messiah's identity is linked to this Melchizedek. Fascinating, right? Fascinating. So I want to just look at this, and th this is... The Old Covenant prophetic language, it requires a lot of interpretation. So we have to look and we have to really ask, what is the meaning and the symbolism of what's taking place in something like this? Why is Abraham is the patriarch of this new nation that God's going to bring forth the Messiah? Like, why is he having this encounter with Melchizedek and why is he tithing? I want to look at tithing first and I want to use tithing as a launch pad to actually look at what a stewarding money look like. But tithing, I think tithing's been... You know, it's, some people have this tithing. It's like tithing's old covenant. Tithing's like the Levitical law. Eh, the Levitical law was actually birthed from this tithe that had nothing to do with obligation. It had nothing to do with, Abraham didn't have to do that. Abraham wasn't commanded to do that. Abraham voluntarily acting as a forerunner of the priestly call, he tithes 10% of his net worth to this person that's a foreshadowing of Christ. So if we're to trace where tithing, it's this, this encounter is, where, is the root of tithing. Right? And I've been meditating on this. Let's, and, and I feel the Lord's given me a revelation that just, it hit home. Right? So does anybody watch Shark Tank? I love Shark Tank. You know, it's just like, cool. You know, I wear these golf shirts that were like on Shark Tank, you know, like Spike Ball was on Shark Tank. You're like, man, this place, this is crazy, you know. I even got these like, you know, never mind, I actually won't talk about that. It was like a toiletry project. But I'm like, I was on Shark Tank. I want that one, not that one. Dove's boring. They're like called dude wipes or something. So it's kind of weird. But I, I told you anyway. Anyways, Shark Tank's cool. That's my point, right? And the premise of Shark Tank is what? You have these entrepreneurs that are like really hoping that they can get into the room with these sharks and they are pitching their businesses to these sharks. And what's a shark? Someone who's really successful, seasoned, wise, gifted. They understand business. They understand different niche markets. They, they're, they're, they're people that you really want on your team. Right? And so they're going, they're standing before these like four or five sharks. Sometimes there's a celebrity shark, right? And they are pitching their business in hopes that they can sell a portion of their business to procure the involvement of a shark in what they're doing. I think this is tithing. 
Abraham, the forerunner of the priests, encounters this foreshadowing of Jesus, the high priest. And as he's blessed, his response is like, I want to yoke with you. <laughs> Let me give you 10% of all I have. And he's getting the king of Jerusalem, the foreshadowing of the king of the heavenly Jerusalem, to yoke himself as a business partner. I've seen people cry on that show that Mark Cuban will be their shark for 35% of their company. <laughs> like, 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 like weeping because they're so happy. I don't think we've got a revelation of what this tithing thing is. Like Jesus wants to be yoked to us financially. And the tithe is an act of worship. It's saying, here's your stake. It's the first 10%. It's my first. Like if there's leverage on the business, right? There's, you know, like there's money that's leveraged. So the first 10 goes to the shark of heaven. <laughs> but he's also the one who created heaven and the earth. <laughs> and he's just really gifted at this whole life thing. And he's like, I'm longing to be your partner. I'm, I'm wooed and compelled to yoke myself with you. I want to make you blessed in the earth. Right? And this is, you know, the Deuteronomy 28. You'd be blessed in the city and blessed in the field and blessed, 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 blessed. If you'll just yoke yourself with Jesus. If you yoke yourself with Yahweh, you'll walk in covenant blessing because he's the creator. So tithing is this act of worship that actually is, is physically demonstrating. It's communicating, I want you to be my shark. I, I want to give you 10% of my business. I, I want to I invite you in. I want, I, I'm giving you 10% because I want you to have influence over the rest of this. And I think if we see this for what it is, all of a sudden you're like, all you want's 10%? Like, all, that's it? Like, this is the best deal ever. This is, this is, it's like stupid. This is like, you know, it's like, this, this, this does, it's too good to be true. And then religiosity comes and has just corroded tithing to like, I have to give 10%. Question mark? Do I have to? It's like we're constipated. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to, but do I have to? The bills are tight this month. It's, it's poor thinking. The enemy is the father of lies, and he goes after paradigms that shut down the life of God. So I think he's gone after tithing. This is religious. That's what the Levitical law was about. It's like, no, 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 this is priestly. This is when someone gets a revelation of who the high priest is, you're like, here's your 10%. It's first. It's for you. Now, come on, business partner. How do we do this whole life thing? I want your voice in all of it. All right, so a royal priest is one who's representing God to creation. Right, so it's one we're creating the city of God on earth, meaning that we've all got an assignment from the Lord. We're all part of a family business of bringing heaven to earth. 
And this looks like something. This looks like something. It, it requires resources. The dream that God has given you requires you in some measure to steward resources in a way that will support that vision. Like nothing happens without money. And it doesn't mean that you have to have it all. Like it can come in many ways, but we're living with our heads in the sand if we don't think that the way that we steward our money has a part in our vocation as a priest and building the city of God on earth. Right? Yes, I, it is true. <laughs> so this, this is where I want to kind of shift. So, so tithing introduces us. Tithing is procuring. It's saying, like, you're, I'm yoking you, Jesus. I want you to have influence over all my decisions that I'm making with money in my life. And then it, I think it's the trampoline that gets to the really fun part, which is, like, actually stewarding money with God. I think that this should be really fun, right? Because as a priest, royal priests are people, it's a calling, it's a vocation to express creativity in creating connection with God in the inner garden, in creating connection with people in the outer garden, and in creating connection to creation itself. So royal priests are really creative people. In Genesis 1, we're made in the image of God, the only thing that we know expressly at that point is that God is a creator and that God is good. So the image that we bear as priest is to create good in the earth. That's our God-like expression, that we behold him and then we imitate him. And our imitation is that we are creating goodness in the earth. We are changing the world for good. Yeah? So money is simply energy. That's all wealth is. Money, wealth, it's energy that God, that, that it's currency to support that mission. That's what it is. And I think that the stewardship of money is intended by God to be a really joyful proposition. It's intended to be really creative. It's intended to be life-giving. It is not intended to be shrouded with fear, guilt, shame, anxiety, all the things that it typically is. And again, this is, you know, Satan doesn't waste resources. So when he creates a lot of paradigms that are full of lies and all this stuff, it's because he goes after powerful things. And he wants to like kind of get the church paralyzed around money. And I think he's done a pretty good job. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I just want to, in light of this idea that heaven is a city and that we're living a dress rehearsal of the city to come, it's, it's similarly in line to, you know how I talked about retirement home thinking? That's a lot of how heaven's viewed. It's like the best retirement home, but like on steroids. Like better food. I don't know what, you know, but that's how we kind of think. And not like, you know, and we kind of opened that new paradigm two weeks ago. I almost think that in light with the retirement home thinking, most Christians think that everyone will be really rich in heaven. Or at least that everyone will all have the same amount of money. Or have access to endless amount of money. And I don't know where we get that from. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that Earth's a dress rehearsal for the city to come. So if we have no idea what to do with resources here, we're going to have to learn there. And I think there'll be time to learn. But it's a city. There's import and export which means there's buying and selling, which means there's money in heaven. This is, this is kind of cool. 
This is actually exciting. Like, God's not afraid of money. The streets are made out of gold. (laughs) You know, he's royal. He's a king. You're thinking. So, uh, what I'm just trying to say is that we're going to steward money there just like we steward money here. It's a city. It has commerce. It has creativity. The gates are open for imports and exports. Economies, you know, are full of their money, their resources. It's going to be different than here. I'm not saying it's going to be an American capitalism. And again, it's a theocracy. The shark of heaven is vested in every business. So it will be an economy void of guilt, void of greed, void of selfishness, void of manipulation, void of poverty, void of all the brokenness of things. But we have to see, right, work was introduced before the fall. So this whole economy of work and creativity, those are vocations that will exist after redemption and when we get to heaven. We'll see what they were really meant to be. But we're going to be stewarding finances there. So what I'm saying is in learning to steward finances, it's a dress rehearsal for heaven. We don't just get there and we're like robots. Rich jello robots. That's retirement home thinking. Okay. All right. So are you seeing this? Jesus, the king of Jerusalem. He's vested, he's influencing, right? Everybody lives in the light of his presence. So every decision is going to be made with him. So we're learning how to live that out here with our money. We're learning how to live and walk in the light as he's in the light so that his creativity and his goodness and his peace and his joy is actually being expressed through the way that we steward finances on earth as it is in heaven. This is cool, you guys. This is cool. Right, so wealth is energy, money is energy, and God wants to teach us how to use it to create goodness in the earth. This is why it's exciting. Right, so practically speaking, you can do four things with a dollar. You can spend it, you can save it, you can give it, you can invest it. Just get like real simple. We can do four things with a dollar. We tithe because the first is to the king of Jerusalem. Then he comes, he's the shark, he's the helper, he's the investor, he's the, he's the creator of the universe. And he's like, hey, now let me teach you how to use dollars and do the, each of those four things. How, when, what? Like there's, there's discipleship in each one of those, but he wants to disciple us. So that the decisions that we're making with money are creating goodness, producing peace, and joy. Like that, if we really boil it down simple, that's, that's what Jesus wants. Do I need to say this more? Right, so all four of these acts are creative, and they have ripple effects in our lives. And inviting Jesus into our money is just letting him be the most prominent voice in what we do with money. We're basically bringing money to him, saying, what do you want me to do with it? Want me to spend it? Want me to save it? Want me to give it? You want me to invest it? Right, and remember that wisdom series? 
God likes to speak in conversations. So he's going to teach us in life. He's going to teach us how to steward. He's going to build rapport with us. He's going to cultivate intimacy over years of our lives. Like he's going to call us into faith. You spell faith? R-I-S-K. And this is what the Lord's been teaching me over the last years is that in the church, we like, we like saving. We like giving. We're unsure of investing. That depends who you talk to. We're unsure of spending, but the Lord's challenged me. And there's been times when I'm, I, he's had to challenge like, well, I know that saving's good. I, I personally, you know, investing's good. And so the Lord's like, no, no, if, if, if I want you to spend that money and you invest it, it's sin. If I want you to invest that money and you give it away, it's sin. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean? You give, you give, it's better to give than receive. No, no, it's better to listen and obey. <laughs> See, but this is where principles are to lead us to the person of Jesus. And there are times principles are good, but the heart of what Jesus is wanting is to know that there's a deep yieldedness to whatever he would want to say. And that you'll do it. That's the key to creativity and goodness and peace and joy. So let Jesus have it all. Now, it produces a lot of fear to really think that because if he owns all the keys on your key ring, he can tell you to give them away. He can. That's the rich young ruler. He can tell you to do whatever he wants. It's, it's he's the CEO. And what he's trying to do is to culturize us to the way of heaven, which is different than the way of earth. So I think... Actually, I'll, I'll get there. Let me, let me, this is the monkey in the room. Let's talk, monkey. Ooh, 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 ah, ah. We all know there's a monkey in the room. We start talking about money at church, right? And here's the monkey. There's two sides that I think the paradigms, one of the ways that I recognize that the enemy's at work in the church, and this is why I like to talk about these things, but when I know that he's at work over paradigms is that there's usually two polarities that exist within the church. So he, he works to create divisive paradigms where there's black and white polarities. And there is this, there's like a poverty mindset camp in the church, and there's a prosperity gospel mindset in the church. And I think they're separate manifestations of the same thing, which is that the church is afraid of money and doesn't know what to do with it and hasn't yet come into this deep connection with yielded surrender to the Lord. But here, let me just break these down. Right? A poverty mindset basically says money's evil. And you might not say this, but it's, it's, you say it. There's a, it's a, the formation, like you feel it. It's deeper sometimes than even consciousness. But money's evil. This is real. Rich people aren't real Christians and don't take the scripture seriously. You might not say it, but you'll think it or you'll feel it or you'll have a leeriness. People are really wealthy because ultimately it's holy to be poor. Prosperity gospel swings the other way. And now money is actually the sign of God's blessing. The poor and sick must have hidden sin. You won't say it, but you can think it, you can feel it. Those who are rich and healthy are the ones who are favored by God. Polarity. I don't think either one of those things are true. And this is if, 
I've, I've thought a fair amount about this. If you get down to the root of both of those, I believe they're both theologies of mammon. And this is what I mean by that. In both of those streams of thought, money is the gatekeeper between us and God. Money talks to us about our relationship with God. So in a poverty mindset, it's, it's the amount of money is actually informing me what God thinks about me and what, like, so money's the gatekeeper. Money's standing between me and God. In the prosperity gospel, money is telling me about my relationship with God and if I'm favored and if I'm blessed. So money's the gatekeeper in both of those things. And what God is after, what the kingdom of, of Jerusalem, the holy city will be like, is that our relationship with God informs our relationship with money. Money's not evil. The love of money, the worship money is what's evil. So what God wants is that our relationship with him would inform our relationship to money. God doesn't talk to us through money. He talks to us about money. God doesn't talk to us through money. He wants to talk to us about money. So these, these, both of these extremes have scriptures woven into it. I took a really, really dumbed down approach to it, but they have scriptures woven to it but it's paradigms that ultimately have a lot of brokenness woven into it because it's not about surrender to the shark of heaven who can tell you to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Because we can use principles, even scriptural principles, we can use them to justify our own form of control over our money. And it keeps me from having to surrender it to whatever he thinks and let him reculturize me to his way of money, not my way of money. That's good. He thinks it's good. Barack thinks it's good. Right? So this, the heart of what God is after is that our connection to him would inform our relationship with money. Right? So the rich young ruler, Jesus loves him, and he sees that money is standing between him and Jesus. And we know this because Jesus identifies the root and says, give everything you have to the poor. Right? That's not, that doesn't mean that that's what he's telling everybody to do. And that doesn't mean that's what he's telling every rich person to do. But that's what he's telling this young rich ruler because money was informing him about his relationship with God. And it says Jesus loved him, asked him to be a disciple, and he went away sad. Sad because money is what was informing his relationship with God. He wasn't okay without his money. That was the problem. It wasn't surrendered, right? But then you have Zacchaeus, who's also a wealthy man. Jesus sees him sitting it's on a tree. The wee little man, a wee little man was he, <laughs> climbed up in the sycamore tree. And Jesus just looks at him and says, I'm going to dine with you today. And Zacchaeus gets a revelation of being favored by God. And somehow that relationship, even though he didn't even, informed his relationship with money. He gets close to God and he's like, I'm going to take my money and I'm going to repay all the debts of all the people that I've stolen money from. Jesus didn't even tell him to do that. But Jesus, but Zacchaeus demonstrates what Jesus was after. I want influence over your heart. Come on. This is good. This is what he wants. This is what Jesus wants. Right? So theologies of mammon are fuel to the fire of comparison because they breed an internal paradigm that has us constantly measuring how our relationship to God is compared to the wealth of those around me. 
This, this is the broken, this is what's so messed up about the poverty, prosperity paradigm, is that it's all relative. So you can feel securely middle class in Boise, Idaho, but if money's informing your relationship to God, you'll then go to, let's say, India, and you will start to feel grossly, exorbitantly wealthy and, and like you're like guilty. Like, oh, because I'm, I'm so rich. And then you could go to Newport Beach and start feeling insecure because you're poor. Because it's all relative. It's all relative. So when we get these theological things of like, this is what it means, like, you know, those rich people, da, 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 da. it's like, compared to somebody, you're the rich person. <laughs> This is, you know, you are. If you own a home in this country, man, millions of people, that'd be their highest dream they could ever dare imagine, that they could own a home somewhere. So it, it makes no sense, is what I'm trying to say. This, what is poverty? What is, well, it's not a, about all the external form is not about the comparison. It's not about money telling us about our relationship to God. It's about having a relationship with God the Father and Him talking to us about money. And the only way that He'll be able to do that is if money is surrendered. Because if money's not surrendered and money's an idol, money's a part of us. So He can't talk to me about money because it's like, oh, it's like we can't see it. But as soon as we surrender money and we put money on the altar, it becomes an objective conversation. He says, hey, let's talk about this. I want you to give it. I want you to save it. I want you to spend it. I want you to invest it. I'm, I'm simplifying this. There's, there's a world of learning that I think the Lord has in different ways. But I'm trying to get this down to the baseline. Right, so the secret sauce, say secret sauce. Who likes secret sauce? No, it's not just about the sauce. It's like it's, you don't know what it is. It's like there's ingredients that make it up. You know what the sauce is, but it's like what are the ingredients of the secret sauce of being creative and peaceful and joyful in our finances? It's uh, two things. Surrender, say surrender. surrender. Obedience. obedience. Surrender and obedience. Surrender and obedience. Surrender says, God, I trust your goodness to me. You are the shark of heaven. I'm going to listen to you. Because your intentions towards me are better than my highest thoughts for myself. Your dreams are better than my dreams. You, you are more committed to my well-being than I am. Surrender, when you really get to surrender, when you really surrender control to the God of heaven, who's the most powerful person in all the cosmos, and he says, you're the apple of my eye, like you're in a really good place. When you are completely moldable and influenceable by the God of eternity, by the king of the holy city, you're in a really good place. You don't have any control but you're in a really good place because he's better than you think he is and he knows what he's doing more than you do. 
surrender. And then obedience acts on surrender. And it's what God, it gives God space to move. It's where the rubber hits the road. If he says give, give it. If he says spend, spend it. If he says invest, invest it. If he says save it, save it. Like it's, it's submitting your reason to his reason. It's don't leaning on your own understanding, but in all your ways being intimate to him, letting him lead you on his path. That is straight. But he's going to challenge capitalistic mindsets. He's going to, like, he has his own culture. But this life is a dress rehearsal for that one. So we might as well learn how his city functions now and live our lives governed by the light of divine wisdom so that we learn to partner with him with the resources that he puts in our hand. Come on. Right, and this is uh, the other secret sauce, is I think we should measure the health of our financial culture in terms of peace, joy, and creativity, and not just dollars and cents. Right, in other words, is the combination of spending, saving, giving, and investing creating peace and joy or stress and anxiety? And that's, that's how we're measuring. That's our litmus test. That's how we know what's really going on. And if you have anxiety, welcome to the club of humanity. But our sanctification over time will lead us out of fear and into love, into joy, into rest. I think God has a dream for our lives. I think God has thoughts about your personal finances, about the legacy of your family. I think God wants to bless you. And I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. I'm preaching what the Bible says. And he's a good father. The only thing he's ever been is good and a giver. And he gives without shifting shadow or variation. I don't think that everybody has the same calling. I think some people have special graces, just like some people are called to preach. Some people have special graces to multiply money exceedingly. I think that's both a cross and a calling. I don't think that everybody has that, but I think that everybody is called to be blessed because we're a royal priesthood that will live in a holy city, and there's no less thans there. There's no orphans. There's no poor people there. So I don't think we need to idolize poverty, and I don't think that we need to worship wealth either. Again, it's surrender, it's obedience, and it's letting the Father reculturize us about money so that we have a healthy, peaceful, joyful, life-giving, creative relationship with money, and we see money as a resource, as energy that's going to empower and serve us in creating the, the city of God on earth. Like God has a dream for your family. And it's going to take finances. I think in every parent, he puts a desire to pass on inheritance. And that's not just this vain Western thing. That's, it's holy. Like God was giving land to his people. That's like the narrative of the Old Testament. That's the heart of a father, that his people would have a physical inheritance in the land. Like read the Psalms, delight yourself in the Lord. That whole Psalm 37 is about inheriting the land. That's the desires of their heart. It was for land. 
how much more? Like this is, you know, so I think you see what I'm saying. All right. I think I have a few minutes. I, I felt led to, to, to share a couple testimonies and hopefully inspire you and maybe offend you. <laughs> I don't know. So I'm going to share some testimonies. These are ones for me as a young adult, and I've shared, I don't know if I've ever shared this completely. I've maybe shared portions of it. I don't think that this will bother anybody. Um, I don't care if it does, but uh, this is going to be just like, I'm just going to share a little bit how the Lord taught me culture, and I'm still learning culture, just so you know, I'm a learner with a capital L. It's like when you get your driver's license and they, they should put a, you know, this person just got their driver's license. Like, we should know that. Like, just see that right now. Learner. You know, I'm a learner. So I, I'm on a journey. I feel like probably the last 10 years have really been on an intentional journey. And the Lord slowly over time teaching me about the, the financial culture of heaven. Um, I'll just say, even before I testify any of this, I think Dave Ramsey is a rabbi that God has anointed to disciple us in our culture. Um, I, don't, I don't do everything that he does, but he has been a, like, the word of the Lord has come to me many times through him. So I just want to say, like, there's been a lot of other outside influences that have been really, really helpful for me, and he's probably uh, number one. The Lord told me years ago, uh, right before Jackie and I were getting married, he said, I want you to submit to him like he's a rabbi in your life. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. So Anyways, I don't think that this is, it, sometimes testimonies can sound strictly spiritual. A lot of this is wrestling, scared, making decisions, not knowing what to do. But I think that uh, God's done beautiful things in me through it. So uh, I graduated college, and God called me right before I was graduating college um, into ministry. So I found out that I wouldn't be making as much money as I was probably expecting. And uh, I think I, my first salary was $1,000 a month. I think probably my first five years out of college, I don't think I ever made more than $30,000 in a year. And my education, I think, cost $30,000 a year. So anyways, funky math. Uh, my, my parents helped me a lot. But I graduated with about 30000 in student loans, and I had no net worth, like zero. I had an old Subaru that my wife now makes fun of me and says, if you would have picked me up on that, I would have not dated you. So... That's her opinion on Subarus. If you drive them, good on you. I like them. But mine was old, and it was broken down, and I didn't even know how to drive stick shift, but I, it was what I could afford. So anyways, and I was, I'm living, I'm living uh, in my parents' house, and I'm like, wow, this is a lot different story than I thought. And I'm stressed about this uh, 30000 in debt. So anyways... Um, I started praying then. I said, Lord, I want to I be debt-free. I, you know, I, I don't really know how we're going to do this, but I want to do this. And I want to be faithful. And I said, I just want you to tell me what to do, and I'm going to do it. And uh, it was in the first year of ministry. It's still, I had a speaking engagement, and it was, it's the most money I've ever gotten for any speaking engagement to this day. And I was fired up. I, it, was, it, was, it was over $1,000. And I was so happy. So I'm like, that's more than I make in a month, you know? And uh, right about a week before I was actually on a retreat praying about what I would share at the at the, uh, it was, I was speaking four or five times, and uh, the Lord said, yeah, I want you to take that. It's your first fruits. I want you to give it entirely away. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like all of it? Like, come on. I'm not, like, aren't I already kind of given and not make, you know, like I'm in ministry. You know, Lord, no, give it away. So I gave it away. 
I gave it away. He told me who to give it away to. I gave it away. Uh, the next year, I saved really hard. I saved up. I think I had maybe seven or $8,000, which was a lot because I wasn't making very much money. And uh, I really, like, I hated my, my car and I couldn't drive it and it kept breaking down and I had to spend thousands of dollars just to keep it running. And I really, really wanted a new truck. I wanted a new Tacoma and I almost was about to do it. And the Lord said, no. He said, take the money, pay off one of your student loans. So I had them in like chunks. So I said, okay, and it hurt. Like, I sucked. I was like, I'm paying for school. I already went to. Like, Ugh. You know, but he did. He said, he said, pay it off. So I paid it off. The next year, I saved up like another five or $6,000. And I'm still, and at this point, I'm like, okay, yeah, the Lord wants me to pay off the debt. And I would just wait until I had the, the sum to pay off like one of the installments of the loan. And as I'm about to do this, this is about the next week I was going to do it. And uh, the, the Lord spoke to me. I met this young girl that, uh, through my mom that was doing ministry school. And she flew across the world in faith, had no money. And I think the tuition was like five grand or something. And the Lord said, I want you to pay for her school. And I was like, okay, this is like, <laughs> this is way, you know, like I am a pastor making a part-time salary I'm paying my school off. I said I wanted to be debt free. He said, just pay her school. So I paid her school. And that one really hurt because I'm like, this, I, I'm going to be in debt for until I'm 80, you know? Like, I'm, I'm not, like if this is your way, this is just not going to work, Lord. Uh, anyways, about two years later, and this is, this is just, this isn't like, oh, blow your mind. I'm just trying to be real. Like, the Lord is two years later. The Lord speaks to me and he says, hey, get the truck. And I got the truck. I still drive the truck. I drive the truck and I, I don't have any payment on the truck. But two years later, and, I bought, and it wasn't at first. It took time to do that. But it, he said, get the truck. And I was like, when he said get the truck, this is what was crazy. I'd had like four years of all this enculturation. And I immediately started feeling guilty. Like, I can't get that truck. I can't get it. I acted like it was a Lamborghini. I'm like, oh, Lord, it's a Tacoma. I can't. I'm a meager path. I'm like asking people, is this too gaudy? Is this too much? Is this, like, and somebody was like, dude, it's, it's not that nice of a car. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I think it was Jake, actually. I think it was you. <laughs> and I remember when he said it, it kind of like took this guilt off me. I was like, oh yeah, okay. Like it's not, not like we're talking about like an Audi here, you know? Not that I care. I like Audis, right? All you that drive Land Rovers, I'm so jealous of you. I love those cars. Anyways, so I, I, I buy it, but I still, like, I couldn't even park in the parking, star, parking lot at church for some reason. I park, at Back at Hill City, I would park across the street because it was like I couldn't, I didn't feel worthy of it. And it was like, wow, I'm so good to celebrate giving. I'm so good to celebrate, you know, saving and paying off debt, but why can't I obey you and receive it in the same when you say get it like what what like you know and this this has still been a place the lord's been working on me because for me my culturation i think maybe church maybe whatever just in life was like that's not okay I, these things are good but not these things spending is bad that's consumption that's greed that's da, 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 that's materialism which it totally can be right and so it's it's in relationship with the lord so anyways, and then uh, about maybe six months after I bought the car, uh, there was a surprise lump sum I got that paid off all my student loans. Just came from the Lord. It was kind of wild. And I was like, oh my gosh, four years. It, it, I think it was four years. I never made more than $30,000 in a year. And I, I'm like, I have a new car and I don't have any debt. 
And I don't know how, I still honestly was like, I don't know how I don't have this. But it was just, I just made it a point. The Lord said, give. There was times the Lord said, tithe 15%, tithe 20%. I'm like, okay. Like, yes, you're the shark. I don't get it. I don't see it. But I trust you. Surrender and obedience. That's the secret sauce. Right? I read the story out of Luke 19, the, the story of the Minas. Who's read this before? Right? I think a lot of people in the church would be really awkward if Jesus showed up and shared the story. Because Amina was about three months wages. And basically the story he's sharing, if we take 60000 as a base salary, he's saying, I gave $15,000 to 10 people, and I'm celebrating the guy that came back and gave me one hundred fifty grand." And in fact, I'm so happy about that. He's going to steward 10 cities in the kingdom to come. And you who only have 15 grand, give it to the guy with 150K. Because I value stewardship. I value the person who will risk because I'm a man. I'm exacting. I reap where I don't sow and I take a harvest where I don't plant. If you trust me, I'm really, really good at this life thing. And if you'll steward your money with me, it'll multiply. So what Jesus is commending here is people that would make a 10x multiplication on their money. We don't celebrate this in the church. We're kind of like, hmm. You tithing? <laughs> we think this. I saw that car you're driving. You got a nice house. See, I, I think in the church, we'll celebrate the giving testimony. We'll celebrate the dependence on God. It's all dependence on God, by the way. doesn't matter how much money you have. The call is to be dependent on God. That's surrender. You're a provider. But the point is, Jesus is celebrating a 10x investment here. And I'll just be honest with you. I'm not going to go into details, but I could share these stories now, too where Jackie and I have had on faith journeys where Jesus has stretched us, stepping out, scared to death, making investments that somehow multiply. And it's been like a faith journey, and it's been really exciting. Like, it makes me on the edge of my seat. I'm like, I didn't know this was part of this, Lord. <laughs> Honestly, I just thought it was like, give, give, give. But then I started realizing like, I want to give. Like, I really want to be able to bless people. But, like, it takes money to be able to really bless people. And we'll celebrate the rich young ruler who gives everything, but then we'll judge him because it's more blessed to give or receive. And when you give, it gets pressed down, shaken, running over, and it comes back into your lap. But then when that's there, you're like, oh. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that if we're going to break out of comparison, we got to get out of theologies of mammon, which breed comparison, and let money talk to us about our relationship with God. And we've got to mature to the place of sonship where our relationship with God informs our relationship with money so that we can start honoring the full display of God's counsel as he's working with his people, his priesthood, to steward energy. That's what money is, to steward this energy in a way that it is creative and, and powerful in the effect it has in building the kingdom of God on earth. Right? And I just, like, I'm not going to, but I bet you if I shared some of my stories, like the stories where God's just blessed us, it would make more people uncomfortable than the ones I just shared. But they're all coming from the same person. And it's right there in the Bible. I don't think Jesus is afraid of money. 
right? And, and Jesus will lead. I don't think that poverty means that you're not walking in his blessing. Poverty by Western definitions. Some people are called to a place of dependence. Some people are called in different ways. I don't think wealth is a sign of his blessing. It can be. It cannot be. It's not, it's not about that. It's about walking with God and knowing that he is smiling. He's pleased upon the way that when he looks, he's like, your money's wet clay in my hands. I can do whatever I want with it. And then we let the results be to him. But God has a dream. God is good. God's a good father. And he wants to partner with you. It, and again, peace, joy, creativity. If, we, if, if when we think of money, we have peace, joy, and our hearts start swelling with creativity, what more do you need? Right? But, but we, there's going to be a process of reculturization. And, and when I look at my own journey, I can see that the hard, the cutting yeses and the giving, and the, right? it's all part of the process of learning to trust Jesus more and more in time. And there are still places where he's working on me, really like current now, where I'll find anxiety. Having, having a baby puts this new weight of provider, and it's this new place of like conversation. I'm like, hey, I've got to trust you now here. I've got to trust you. And now it's like, oh, okay, you know, like, and, and what I'll just find if I'm confessing is it's really easy to gravitate towards what worked. Well, we invested in the past, and this is good. And if I want to do a legacy, I need to da 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 And the Lord's like, hey, hey, it only worked because I'm helping you. Stay here. Stay here. Because I told you to invest yesterday, but I'm going to tell you to spend tomorrow, and I'm going to tell you to give the day after that, and you need to be listening to what I'm saying, not making a memorial over what I said, not even a memorial over the testimonies of what I've done. I'm looking for dependence. That's the key to joy. That's the key to peace. And I feel like with every new threshold in my life, it's like it's a new letting go of control. It's a new letting go and releasing and saying, you can have it. I acquiesce, you can have it. And I just want to stay in that place of like, I'm the junior partner, just like, all right, what are you saying? What are you doing? And like I've, I've told him, I want, to be, I want to be as quick in my obedience any one of these things. Because that means I really trust you. All right, church. I think that's it. It's almost six. This is our dress rehearsal for the city to come. Um, I, I want to just create space. I, like, I, I, I'm actually, if, we have ministry team, yeah? yeah? Maybe just the ministry come forward. I just have a sense that people tonight, there's breakthrough for some. And I don't, I don't want to make it some big emotional thing. Like, I actually just feel like it's as simple as just coming and letting people pray for you. And I think, I just, I want to invite those of you that don't practice the tithe to just respond in light of a revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't want, I don't need your money. Our church is blessed. We've been blessed. We've tithed. Like, like this is, this is God's been governing our, we're blessed. And we're not, we're not in need up here. It's like, I want you to enter into the blessing of letting Jesus come and be the CEO of your life and of your family business and of your family legacy. 
And, and sometimes we need, we just need prayer. We need grace. We need blessing. And I just, I, I don't know exactly what this looks like, but I feel like this probably lands on different people. I have a sense there's probably some people in here. You've had wounds. You've had, you know, financial hardship. You've had things that, you know, you're almost like you're hearing what I'm saying, but you're like, I have these stories that are fighting this. And I just, just have a sense that God wants to bring breakthrough and he wants to shift perspectives tonight. He wants to uproot these weeds of the lies of the enemy and solidify the truth of God's voice and God's word to you that, that you are a favored son and daughter and that he's with you and that he's for you. And I just have a sense that God wants to release grace through just the laying hands and, and the prayer through the prayer team tonight. So I'm gonna have the team come forward and just stand up here and actually I'm just I'm going to open it right now as they come forward just I think we have a few maybe let's all just stand on our feet yeah and I'm just going to invite you now that if you want prayer uh, you can just start coming and and you can make a line behind if there's a line, but I just want you to come now and, and I'm just going to pray a benediction over all of us. Uh, Lord, we, we submit to you as a house and we just look to you as a better priest than Melchizedek. And we thank you that you are desiring to be so involved in our day-to-day -day life, that you are desiring to be involved in our personal finances, our businesses, you know, the, the ventures that we're putting our hands to, God, that you, you, you truly get excited and that you truly want to be involved. And I just invite you, Jesus, I ask that you would come and reculturize this house, this community to finances in light of heaven, that you would culturize us to the way that you think about money, the way that you steward money, the way that you use money to create the kingdom of God on earth, that we would be living into the economy of heaven through the way that we are walking our life on earth, God. And I, I, I thank you that you're a teacher, that you're patient, that you're good, that you're full of wisdom. And we just invite you, spirit of wisdom, to come into this room. We invite you, Holy Spirit, that you would heal what needs to be healed, that you would shift, that you would uproot, that you would plant, that you would cut, that you would have your way in us as a people tonight. And I just ask, Lord, that you would bless this ministry time, that the laying on of hands, God, would be anointed and that you would step into this place, Jesus, and that you would minister your heart and that you would break us free to walk as a royal priesthood as it pertains to money in our lives. Let your blessing and your grace be upon us, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can come forward, receive ministry, uh, and you're also blessed to go and, and get the kiddos. And yeah, we're just going to keep this a ministry space. So we just ask that, you know, you can linger and be social out there, but let's not be too loud to just not distract the moments that people will be having up front. Bless you guys.